Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life and what next steps do you need to take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 25. I cannot wait for you to meet Dr. Kristen Lee. Dr. Chris, as she's known, is an internationally recognized, award-winning behavioral science clinician. She is a researcher, educator, speaker, and a comedian from Boston, Massachusetts. And she is the author of a fantastic new book called Worth the Risk, Learn to microdose bravery to grow resilience, connect more, and offer yourself to the world. Now, what's really cool about this, she is also a Next Big Idea Book Club nominee for this year. It gives you some indication of how this book is being regarded out there in the world. She's also the host of Cracking Up, where therapy meets comedy. And she's a regular contributor to Psychology Today, and her work has been featured at Harvard and on NPR, Fast Company, Forbes, CBS Radio, also a fantastic TED Talk called The Risk You Must Take. I hope you find this interview and this conversation exactly the message you need for today. I hope you find it to be encouraging. As we begin, or before we begin, do a quick mental scan of how we are living our lives and where are we playing it safe, which we're human. Of course, we're going to play it safe, but where are we playing it too safe and how might that be limiting our true potential? And so now, welcome to episode 25, everyone. And here is Dr. Chris, Dr. Kristen Lee. Oh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's great having you on the show. Likewise, Darren. It's great to be here. Thank you. Chris, uh, we, we do know each other, but I got to tell you, I'm learning a few new things. Uh, here's, here's what people need to know about you. You are an internationally recognized, award-winning behavioral science clinician, researcher, educator, speaker. Maybe more, most importantly, though, you're a comedian. My goodness. How do, how do all those things come together? Huh. Let's take a minute, and if you can... Give us a little bit about your background and how did you land in the profession, vocation you're in right now? Tell us a little bit. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share. Ultimately, I I think back, you know, a question like that makes you think and reflect even back to, you know, childhood. And I think I was always extremely curious about the human condition and human behavior. I was sensitive, I think, um, to people's needs and struggles and then the opportunities to overcome them. And as life went on for me and as I grew, I myself struggled with a lived experience of anxiety and depression. And a lot of people wouldn't know. I wasn't the classic textbook case study of that. I wrote for the school newspaper. I had a lot of friends. I was outgoing. And people didn't know the level of struggle that I went through. And it wasn't until I had a professor during my undergrad years who asked if I was okay. And that really led me to realize that I could be safe um, to get help. And I think, you know, that first experience in therapy opened my eyes to the power of healing and recovery. And therefore I went and got trained as a clinical social worker. And, you know, all through the years in working in outpatient mental health, I worked with a lot of people who I would call high achieving leaders, people who are very conscientious, but can also sometimes walk the line of unhealthy overachievement. And I became curious and compelled to want to help more. And 13 years ago, I entered into higher ed. I believe education can transform or traumatize. I've always woven humor in as a teaching tool, just because it's part of my own quirkiness. And then a few years ago, I started to train formally in comedy. I've always been obsessed with performance, with the arts and with comedy. And I really felt that I could use that as something that was therapeutic in my own life. And that could also be therapeutic for those 
that participate in it with me. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot there. I have some follow-up questions on that. So, <laughs> you asked um, me a big question. So. Oh, my goodness. We're going to be here for four hours, so buckle up. Um, so, Chris, in the area, though, of the, you mentioned unhealthy overachievers, unhealthy overachievement. What, what define that a little bit more for me? And uh, I'm really intrigued by that phrase. And what did you, what, what are some of those signs of being an unhealthy overachiever? I think some of the signs are very evident in our culture. I call it the cult of overachievement. So society very much has defined success in very narrow ways. A lot of us have been kind of hooked into a hyper-performance mindset or a mindset that more is more that we have to hustle. You know, I think kids today, even by the time they lose their first tooth, they're being told they need to know what their top tier institution is going to be. You know, and then it's like, by the time you're 20, if you don't have your own startup, you're a complete failure. Right. So unhealthy overachievement is thinking that we are human doings, not human beings. So unhealthy overachievement looks like that constant hustle, that nagging question in one's mind, Am I enough? Is it ever enough? Am I doing enough? And it, it leads to compulsive behavior and a sense of inner strife and inner turmoil that someone's going to find us out or that we just have to have hands on deck all the time in order to be accomplished. Wow. Okay. So there's many people who are um, <laughs> maybe driving to work right now that they're nodding right now in their car. Uh, and, and I'm, I think you might be in my head as well. Uh, uh -huh. That is a great, great description. Um, so thank you for that. How do we back away from that? How, how do we re reframe that, uh, Chris? I think one of the most wonderful aspects of psychology and behavior science that we've discovered is that when we can name phenomena, that can become a catalyst for behavior change. So for example, if you know that you're a highly conscientious person, you care about your work, you want to bring your best self to the world, but then you realize that sometimes it can go too far yeah. and you know come over into that lane of unhealthy overachievement versus healthy achievement, then we can catch ourselves in the act and say, is this humane? Is this sustainable? Is this worth doing if I'm living in such a state of ongoing turmoil and anxiety? And so I think that, you know, that's the beginning is just noticing, you know, we as a species are able to be, you know, use metacognition to be aware of our thinking and then make the revisions that we need to stay and do well. Yeah. Well, listen, everyone who's listening, I think Chris has given us a really good uh, platform here. The, uh, a challenge is to really be aware of, of that in today as we're moving through our day and our weeks and our months, looking at our calendar. Um, look, we're all trying to chase some pretty big goals in our lives and we want to live that happy life. But maybe you need here just to assess and maybe throttle back just a little bit and ask yourself, why are you hustling so, so much? Why are you pushing so hard? And to really just pause and evaluate that uh, to do that periodically seems like it would be uh, mentally pretty healthy. Agree? Disagree? Indeed, Darren, that's such a great framing. And ultimately, a lot of my research, I look at high-performing leaders. I look at what contributes to resilience and identity. And again, I think if all of us take that minute to realize no one's going to stand up at our funeral and say, oh, they had 1,476 followers on LinkedIn, or, oh, they answered their email in 0.02 seconds, right? 
That is not our legacy. Our legacy, you know, I love the, the notion of it's how we make people feel and how we elevate each other and how we liberate each other from these kinds of mindsets that become so erosive in our society and our hyper-competitive global market. So indeed, that, that, that point of reflecting and realizing that our identity needs to be multidimensional. It can't just be based on our title, the status we have. It's much deeper in terms of our, our whole humanity. Chris, before we talk about this killer new book, you're the author of this, I do have to ask you about, you're the host of Cracking Up. Uh, uh-huh. Tell us about this. And I'm, it, one of the taglines is where therapy meets comedy. I keep coming back to this comedy thing. Tell uh-huh. us a little more about that. And how does therapy meet comedy? What, what have you seen as the benefit? Well, as I said, you know, for many years, I've, I've spent time with organizations around the world, serving as a keynote speaker and consulting with leaders to help drive, not like human performance, but to really think about what can foster cultures of high psychological safety and trust and of well-being and candor and connection. I'm often called in during times of peril and crisis. So all my work, you know, on mental health advocacy, it's very heavy. So I've always used humor as a tool for levity. Where therapy meets comedy, you know, if you don't, if you can't crack up, you'll crack. And that's the premise of the show. And ultimately, what I do as a performer is I speak to my own lived experiences with overachievement and recovering perfectionism and anxiety and like being the psychotherapist, but also being a hot mess. And then all at the same time being okay and not okay. So it's like this whole vacillation in the world of how we're all trying to find our way in this, this wild landscape. And so what I decided to do was to, um, is to make this be a benefit for two nonprofits, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and a coma project which focuses on BIPOC mental health access. I wanted this to be a time of community. So I rented out the Lyric Stage Company in Boston, very grassroots. I just went to the director and said, hey, I'd like to rent your theater out. I had already, and we ended up like filling the house. We had three fantastic shows. Um, I perform, I bring in talented comedians. And it was just that first show in particular was a moment because just to see people like one, be off their phones <laughs> for an hour yeah. and a half, what a relief. Two, to just belly laugh um, and, and to be together. It was very, very emotional. And now I have a permanent spot at the theater and we're generating, it's been very grassroots, but we're generating that momentum. And I think, I just want people to know that they're not alone. I think even if you're not suffering at like a level of acuity with your own mental health, you care about someone that is, and you've seen the level of carnage within organizations and at home. And so to me, I think if we can, you like, I believe comedy is a critical thinking tool, like to help raise absurdities of life and call them out. And laughter is the best medicine, right? Besides Xanax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that whole story, I appreciate that story so much. Um, and there's a lot of lessons there around, boy, just asking, right? There's a, a lesson there about your own, you know, personal development, about um, just doing something way outside of your comfort zone. And maybe that, maybe that wasn't way out of your comfort zone, Chris. 
But what, was that a big stretch for you? And if so, why, why did you decide to do it? What was the benefit for you as you just think about your own development or your own life? I love your questions. I think for me, there's two things I can share. One is that my work is so serious and heavy. I'm in academia and I work with high octane leaders. Yeah. And I really pride myself on the, the research, you know, like the serious side of myself. And I think just having fun, like we almost have to rationalize or explain it. Like to do something creative was very important to me as an artist and as a person. Yes, I'm an academic. Yes, I'm a researcher. Yes, I'm a clinician, but I'm also an artist. So in my writing and my performing, letting that spirit come through is essential. And the second thing I would tell you, my own risk in doing this is I was the first in my family to go to college. I worked four jobs undergrad, a lot of upward mobility, a lot of just, you know, a lot of effort to be at the point I'm at where I have the opportunity to bring influence as a leader. And then it's okay to laugh and it's okay to bring levity. Um, I feel like sometimes we can even feel guilty because the trauma at hand, this, the level of suffering, it's like, it's not a time to joke, but I think there's always room to be able to use it as a therapeutic tool in our lives. So it was a little bit of a stretch, but the, I, I did it like in stages. And that's really the point of, of all the writing and the work I'm doing now is like, we don't just like jump onto stage in one fell swoop. It was, a, it was like a step-by-step process for me like I always wanted to perform since I was young, um, or I should say younger. I should no, not. No, you're young. You're young. <laughs> but yeah, so I just it, it was a dream, and I'm like, what better time to to do something like this when we really need that that comic relief? That's so great. Uh, that's very inspiring. I've always you and I have taken a couple of classes together with Second City storytelling, and but I'd have to tell you what you are doing with stand up. That is one of my. Um, I've always wanted to try it. And it's uh-huh. also something I can't imagine something more, more scary or more intimidating. So I, I'm living through you on this and I'm just giving you applause here for uh-huh. what you're doing there. I'd love to see that show. Could I come to a show? You should come. I'll send you an invite. We're, we're have um, actually two rounds of show this summer, July 9th and 10th and August 19th and 20th. We have fantastic talent coming in. So please join in in the hilarity. I would be so happy to see you. We'll roll out the red carpet for you. I would love to see it. I'd love to see and, it. And any uh, idea you guess. <laughs> okay. I like that. All right. So you, now this is a perfect launching pad into your book. It's called Worth the Risk. And the subtitle is Microdose Bravery to Grow Resilience, Connect More, and Offer Yourself to the World. Love that. It feels like every word is really intentional. Tell us, Chris, about why this book, you could have written about anything. Why this book? What was the inspiration behind it? Well, I think this is a moment of intense fear, right? Fear is at every corner. We all have endured a tremendous amount. They're calling it the age of anxiety. And what I find in my research, my clinical world, my all of my life is that risk, I think, has a bad rap. You know, people think that means manically diving out of a plane or betting it all at the Bellagio, right? There's adages about risk, you know, curiosity killed the cat or like, what is it? Two, two in the hand is worth one in the hand is worth two in the bush. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of like ideas about risk. And then I think in our more is more culture, we think it has to be these grand gestures. And right now I think with the fear being so erosive, we need to ground ourselves in modern brain science 
and understand that we are not our fear, we are not our automations, and there, there are risks that are worth taking that nourish us, that give us that muscle and that momentum we need to stay and do well, even in complex times. And so, you know, this became just, I think we write about what we need to learn about as well, but I think that we don't realize that playing it safe can actually really hinder our growth in life and really prevent us from making the contributions that are valuable in this world as leaders. I think that's great. I mean, so as leaders then playing it safe, I'm not as educated as you are in this area, but if I go back to my uh, college years, uh, Maslow's hierarchy, right? Safety, the first um, hierarchy of needs. So I have that. So that feels like that's where we should hang out, right? And are you saying that hanging out there is just not enough? For, uh, we as humans, we desire and want more. Am I am I anywhere close to the target? Yeah, if we hang out and and we're you know not comfortable getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? If yeah. we like if we try to skirt risk or these opportunities to stretch ourselves, we're really doing a disservice to ourselves. So like one framework, a clinical framework is exposure therapy. So with anxiety or trepidation or fear, our primitive tells us to kind of like stay in that safe zone, as you say, and you know, not stretch ourselves. But what we know is when we expose ourselves to the things that are provocative and that are difficult to confront, that is where the growth and the momentum and the resilience is built. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that does us a service and then those that we also influence. Yeah, no, uh, for those that are listening, again, some of you are on your way to work, others are at home. And uh, think about in your life though, what are some of those, those goals or those projects that maybe Chris, for me, I think about those things that kind of give you that feeling in your, in your gut, kind of that, Mm. or that your palms get a little bit sweaty. Um, that feels like something that may not be a marker to run, but it might be an indication that, boy, when you get that feeling, that, that, that might be a really great goal and, and worth pursuing. Don't, don't run from that feeling. That, that might be, you may be misjudging that feeling. That's a feeling of excitement that maybe something big is coming. Kind of stay in that and, and take a step forward to that. Obviously, nothing, nothing that's dangerous, like you were saying, but that's oftentimes a great feeling to have. And um, if you haven't had that feeling in a while, it might be fine. It might be time to, to find that a little bit. Yes. I, I feel like the way you're speaking, it's like the best form of coaching. It's so like, you're really capturing it in what you just said to your audience. And I think that, I, I think, again, there's so much that can nourish us in this and really, you know, think of like taking a risk that pays off and what that, what that does to elevate us and, and those that we have touch with as well. Yeah. All right. So now I'm looking at some of the reviews of your book and um, it, so for example, uh, one of the reviews or the, the, the folks who gave a review on it, small acts of courage really aren't small at all. Um, and what, what do you think was meant by that? And I don't have the individual's name, but you talked about these small acts of courage in our lives aren't that small at all. What does that mean exactly? Well, one way we could think about it, if we think about the level of stress we all are enduring, that can be cumulative and it can build up and become really intense to, to grapple with and manage. In a similar way, when we take small, you know, we know behavior change happens through small strategic action. So if we do a little bit at a time, like think of microdosing, right? You ingest a little bit, maybe your stomach goes, Ugh. 
And then you integrate that into your system and then it nourishes you and then you're ready for the next drop. And so I think the reviewer meant that those things add up over time. So like you mentioned, stand up and maybe like your own hesitation. It's not like you jump onto stage for your full Netflix special in one hot second, right? Think of those performers, how many clubs they had to bomb in and do their five minutes and wait around all night and, you know, all of that. So I think for any of us, we just have to realize that right now our capacities, I think everyone at this moment, I don't want to broad brush, but I, I think it's fair to think that many of us are already oversaturated. We don't feel like we could really take a whole lot of our time or energy and put it towards some of these things. So the idea is the chip away method, the microdose method, like how do you take those small little things and then see over time the momentum you've generated? And I think ultimately the other thing is like, if we think about our connection in life as people, as, as whether you're, I always say everyone's a leader because we all have influence irrespective of formal title or position, Amen. but Amen. how we show up in the world is a source of liberation. So you might have no, you have no idea. Some people are watching you and they see you maybe even like the way you self advocate for yourself in a diplomatic, eloquent, but firm way, or maybe, you know, say um, you're a person who's queer, queer and you come out and then there's someone in the closet that feels like, that's, that really inspires me to feel like I can tell someone about my identity. Or it could be um, someone that just, you know, maybe they started their own venture or enterprise, their own podcast. Like maybe people have listened to you and said, I would love to do something like that. So yeah. we have no idea, like those small things aren't small because that could really have elevated someone else as well. And that's what makes it really phenomenal. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that. And so the, I think everyone that, that should give us all a little bit of uh, empowerment, as was said, when we do those small acts, yes, we benefit ourselves, but you never know who's watching. It could be our kids, it could be our colleagues. And um, oftentimes, I think we kind of look at our own little lives in a silo. But man, that's a great point. How do we want to show up? And we do have a lot of influence. So Chris, uh, the, the book is called Worth the Risk. And uh, for those that are going to be reading this book, what is it that, that you hope that they think or do differently as a result of this book? What do you think? I think one of my primary purposes would be that they reject the inhumane messaging of our culture. As I talked about with the commodity complex or the idea that we're human doings, not human beings, that we realize that Fear and anxiety are emotions not to be minimized or oversimplified, but ones that we do not have to lie, like resign ourselves to. And I think as so many of us work to come into a new version of life for ourselves, like everything has changed and we're trying to rebuild and, and contemplate and grapple, that we can, again, just find a place of solace that we are so much more than what society is selling to us and that those things we feel and experience don't have to remain permanent states of being. You know, intellectual humility has gone missing in action. Hasn't it um, oh my gosh. And just yeah. to be able, like, it's like people think a leader is the one that's like, I'm right, follow me unequivocally. Oh. And 
unfortunately that is like the best is when a leader can say, I have no idea. Let's figure out, figure this out together. Or like the marker of a good inquiry is turning up with more questions than answers. So that's the part for me. It's like, there's so much more to learn about risk and, you know, to see its applications in our lives and to realize again, like what contributes to our own tendencies to be risk averse or to be more apt to do it. And I will say again, some people think it's that brute like energy of like, you know, like I'm not afraid, no fear. And that isn't it. You know, that's another discovery is that it's often the introvert, the humble person, the quiet person, who's just like a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And the next thing you know, look where they're at. Okay. So for the, everyone out there speaking of leadership, we said it, everyone's a leader. Um, but I'm, I'm now I'm talking directly to some of those leaders in corporate America. Okay. Especially the young leaders, you may be in, and uh, Chris just dropped a truth bomb here. Uh, uh, society may tell you that the type of leader you want to be or strive to be is that all knowing, you know, uh, patent type leader. <laughs> and um, it is the real power and influence comes from when you can show those chinks in the armor, when you're a little more vulnerable, when you admit, I have no idea, guys, let's figure this out together. That is where the power comes from. And it's not talked about enough. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And for those leaders out there, um, whether you're younger, or maybe you're old, like me, just really think about what type of leader and behavior and influence you're providing and just, just try it. Try, um, try being one of those types of leaders that Chris just shared and you watch how your effectiveness will grow. Don't you think, Chris? I love how you put it. And I feel like you might think that you're risking people respecting you, but you're actually risk, you know, you're actually inviting respect by showing your shared humanity. And by modeling that vulnerability, because that ultimately influences a work culture to build psychological safety and trust. And that's a big piece of the work that I'm doing as I work with organizations around the world is like that old school mindset of like, leave it all at the door. Don't wear it on your sleeve or don't let anyone see you sweat unless it's to show off your hot yoga class, right? Like that isn't a thing anymore because people will sniff that a mile away. The phoniness, right? And I think that it might feel like a risk, like you're risking respect or stature, but instead you're gaining that. We all are leaders in our own way and we should own that and, and take mm-hmm. advantage of that and, and influence others. And we can do that by what you're suggesting. And you're always going to get criticism, especially in this kind of culture. Like some people just won't like it or appreciate it. Um, but we're not avocados. Like not everyone's <laughs> going to like us, you know? <laughs> There's the quote. I love that one. That that's going to be the episode uh, title right there. <laughs> We're not avocado. We're not avocado. I think this could be my next blog post. I don't know. I, could... I think so. I think they. I think already. There's enough weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Chris. Um, how how should we best follow you? You're clearly doing a lot of cool things. Uh, what what are some of the th- ways that we can follow you and stay connected with you? Oh, thank you. I think the first thing to know is that I'm very relationship driven and not transactional. I'm very interested in building a community of camaraderie, connection, and candor. So the first most like obvious thing is if you go to my website, kristenlee.com, you can find even my TEDx talk, The Risk You Must Take, Speaking of Risk. Um, And that was a moment too, where I was microdosing bravery 
and, you know, telling the story when I first came out publicly with my mental health story and like what, what unfolded. And then, you know, I have resources like blogs and upcoming events as well and information about my speaking um, and my travels and my antics. So you can find information about my comedy shows and in all those things. And then certainly I'm active on Instagram. The handle is at the real Dr. Chris, D-R-K-R-I-S. And I also am starting out on TikTok under Dr. Chris Therapy, Therapy Comedy. So I'm there. Um, a lot of people have been giving me that like elbow, like you gotta get on TikTok. So I'm a little <laughs> bit conflicted about it, but I have some things up there for some fun. And then um, I'm active on LinkedIn. I have a comedy therapy microdose newsletter with just each month, um, you know, science, a curation of science and a curation of resources to prevent burnout, to stay and do well. And then just some fun stuff, just those moments where we can create joy and awe and gratitude in our lives. I love it. And I'm so glad you're going on TikTok. You know, I, I just got on TikTok and I put a video up. I got one view. Is that even possible, Chris, to have one view on TikTok? <laughs> you need to find like a seven-year-old to help you manage it. That's my, my hot take. <laughs> well, listen, Chris, um, give us your perspective, right? You're talking to the the vast I Dare You podcast audience. This audience, they've got big goals in their life and some are actively pursuing them. They're in motion. Others are, you know, maybe, maybe just waiting, waiting. Um, but in your experience and with your great new book, Worth the Risk, what advice or counsel would you give people who are, who are just thinking about, okay, what's next for me? What do you think? I think one of the, the most important drawing board steps is to like go to the drawing board around your values. Like what matters most to you? What do you care about? And are those values aligning to your behavior? That's that first step of discovery. And then that will help you operationalize your goals. Say, like for me, I, I love the values in action inventory by Marty Seligman and colleagues. And it's, and you know, I had all kinds of stuff that showed up as my, they're called values and character strengths and, you know, social change and like all these things. But guess what the number one value that came up for me was? What? It was creativity. There you go. And I was like, yeah. Like, cause I realized like how important that is. And then that challenged me to make sure like whether in my writing or all the things I do that I live life as an artist and I bring that creative flair. So I think first knowing your values, like really owning them. And also this is hard for anyone who's humble, which is great, but own your strengths, own your inherent value and worth as a human and recognize that these are things that you can keep growing and cultivating for collective well-being and impact. And so I think that it starts there. And then naturally, then you can say, what's my chip away approach? What's my microdose? Like if I know that social change, for example, scores super high for me on my values and character strengths, and then I'm just kind of watching the events of the world unfold and I'm doing nothing, what is one small thing that I could do to contribute positively? How can I stand up and advocate and be accountable towards change? Chris, this has been just so much fun getting to know you more and why you're writing that book and how we can all take those risks in our lives and live our best life. So Chris, thanks again for being part of the podcast. It was my pleasure, Darren. Thank you. 
All right, that's the show with Dr. Kristen Lee. Dr. Chris, what a fun conversation. Um, and she's so interesting to me. What fun it was to hear about her book, Worth the Risk, and how to microdose bravery in her lives. I invite you to follow her on Instagram. Uh, also, pick up that book, learn more about her, stay connected with her, because she is doing some really cool things in her life. Also, you can follow me on Instagram, at DarrenJohnson1, and also follow the I Dare You podcast community, at I Dare You Pod. You listened to this episode with Dr. Chris. Now, who are you going to share it with? At least two people, maybe more, that could benefit from this important message. And make sure you also subscribe to this podcast so you do not miss an episode. And I do hope this, this message, this conversation, was uh, you found it to be encouraging, and it really helped you be able to put some things into practice starting today. I cannot believe we're already 25 episodes in. Thank you for being along for the ride. Get ready for episode 26. We're going to do it again next week. We'll see you then.